guys, happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, UFC 285, I mean, what a pay-per-view, right? You got the return of John Jones, you have the end of the reign of Valentina Shevchenko, and apparently, Bo Nickel kicked the guy in the balls. Let's get right into it. Let's break this down, guys. So, Francis Ngannou has the right to do what Francis wants to do, right? He has the right to make his moves. And I'm not right just because I don't like him. I could be right two years from now. Two years from now, we'll be able to look back and know if they were the right moves, right? Sure, hindsight, okay. But there is some of it that confuses me. Some of it where I just sit back and go, man, I don't get that. And I'm following the golden rule of life. I'm putting myself in somebody else's shoes and imagine what I would do. It's the golden rule of life. Las Vegas happens to be the fight capital of the world. Fine. Maybe that changes things. But boy, if somebody came to West Lynn, if they contested a world championship in my weight class and they did that in West Lynn, over my dead body, would I let that ride? Over my dead body, would I possibly let two guys in my division come to my town where I live and fight for a title and then I'm going to come out on Twitter and proclaim that it's still mine? My ego just wouldn't allow me to do that. Now, Francis has to stay topical, right? Francis going out and putting a tweet out to John. I think he called him Johnny Boy. Good job, Johnny Boy. I'm still the champs. It was something along these lines. He had to do something. I, I would not support that he just sit there and be quiet because that's a sportsman thing to do. But I will admit for you that I am a little bit confused by it. And then John fires, fires back at him. Now, that fight's red hot. Stephen A. Smith called that fight the, the biggest thing that ever happened to the UFC. And this was almost two years ago that Stephen A. said this, but he said it. Might have disagree with him then. I don't disagree with him now. I believe that Nate Diaz is most likely to fight in the UFC next. I bring Nate into it because Francis is in the same spot. I believe that Francis can come right back in. That's what a free agency is. But Nate Diaz came in from California, got a hotel, got a ride, came to the back gate, put in the, uh, the front row and got put on camera. Francis lives four minutes from the arena and was nowhere seen. So it's a very fair comparison for me to make. And John Jones fires back at Francis and tells him he's a big old, and then used the P word. John Jones... When he came into this weight class, did not believe he was fighting Surreal Gone. Just to, to remind you, let's tell the story the way the story happened, which people never like to do. When John Jones came to the weight class, he didn't think he was going to get a kickboxer who'd never had a wrestling match for a world championship. He did not think he was going to get Stipe Miocic, the most successful heavyweight of all time. He thought he was going to get Francis Ngannou. John was nice enough about it. So look, I come to you with clean hands. I don't think I'm big enough for him. But give me just a minute. Let me put on some size and then I'll see him soon. It's 100% what he did. He took the time. He put on some size and he came to see him. And he wasn't there anymore. So then John took what was offered to him. And that's the way the story happened. I think that's still a very big fight. I think that Stephen A's words are still very real. But time is a ticking fast. 
And let me just provide a scenario for you. John Jones fights Stipe Miocic and John Jones loses. Let me just, let me just throw the scenario at you. John Jones versus Francis is now not the biggest fight that you could make. When the world comes at you very fast, things change very quick. Nobody's looking at someone to succeed. You rise them up so you can bring them down. It's what a fan does. That's why it's short for the word fanatic. It's not a great thing, but it is the way that it works. You will get behind John, and there's something about jumping on the bandwagon, there's something about being a frontrunner, and there's something that's red hot, but goddamn, if a guy named Sergey Pavlich came in and cleaned him up, you would forget about that, and you would be on the Sergey bandwagon, and then you'd be looking for the next guy to bring Sergey down. That's literally the psychology of a fan in every single sport. You have no idea how many people, their absolute favorite football player was Tom Brady, absolute ever. He only retired a month ago. He's not their favorite player anymore. They have to transfer. Just because Tom Brady's time ended, the fans' time doesn't end. So you take that energy and you transfer it somewhere else. It's a very interesting suggestion. I mean, what, what, what is John Jones supposed to do? He has pride. He has any, he, John Jones wants to be known as the best. That really matters to him. The way you think of him, even in your private time, it really matters to him. And I, I think that that got put on display the most when Khabib retired and in the ring asked the rankings committee, put me number one pound for pound. It might have seemed like a simple request by Khabib. And on your way out the door, right, this is on the heels of an announcement. One of the biggest stars in the history of the sports announced that he's going to retire. We thought he was going to go to 30 and 0. He put the brakes on at 29 and 0. This is going to be the headlines, but he didn't stop there. He asked them to put him at number one. It mattered to him. And John came out publicly and refuted it. John was the number one. John refuted it. John said, man, you got a great career. You got a great record. You are not number one. And that committee Better not say that you are. It was a big day. I remember seeing that going, wow, this really matters to these guys. This, this is a passionate thing. I loved it. I love seeing that Khabib wanted that. I love seeing that John wasn't going to let it go. Not even out of politeness. So now you have a guy who's questioning John. John's looking around going, man, I'm right here. I'm right here, right where I said I would be. Three years ago, I told the world I was coming for you. And I came, and you're not here. And I not only came, I came to your hometown, three miles from where you live. And you are not here. But I am. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to me. If I put myself in those shoes, believe if I'm out there talking, I'm telling the world ain't nobody coming to West Lynn not on my watch. Yes, yes, Stipe's next. This is great news. This has kept me up. This has bothered me. This has bothered me for months. That not only that Stipe wouldn't get the shot 
that perhaps Stipe Miocic was retired. I brought it to you guys, and it's very hard rhetorically to say, oh, how would he be retired? Well, I don't believe that Stipe is going to come back to the UFC if he's not in the main event. In fact, I don't think Stipe is going to come back to the UFC if he's not fighting for a world championship. I think that Stipe, and I'm going all the way back to the night that Francis stopped him, I think that nobody deserves a title shot more in any weight class than Stipe. It'd be a trilogy, but a true trilogy. So many people in this trilogy, well, when it's fight number three, we'll call it a trilogy, and maybe that's what it means. I, I, I'd have to consult a thesaurus, but I know within my own vernacular, a trilogy, a true trilogy, has to be you split the first two. So Francis Ngannou, who is absolutely terrifying, and Stipe stepped in there with him not once, but twice. Oh, and by the way, even got his hand raised. For sure, Stipe is owed part three. For sure. If, if you put that in conjunction with the night that he dropped the strap to Cormier, didn't even get a post-fight interview. In fact, they brought Brock Lesnar in instead and gave him the airtime. Gotta give Stipe. We gotta give the Stipe the match. But Stipe was being Stipe, which means he was laying low, he was being polite, he was being a gentleman. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. He was he, he was doing everything that lends towards not getting the shot. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we get told Sergey Pavlich is the backup fighter. Sergey Pavlich's the backup fighter, but Stipe's going to be in town. Well, Stipe's in town. Why is he not the backup fighter? And this is my own question. I'm just wondering, if he's here, if he's got time off, if he's in town anyway, when you're heavyweight, right, when you don't have to beat the scale, you don't need notice. Some guys need notice. they got to beat the scale, though. Right? Not, not everybody can just go jump in tomorrow. As much as Chael loves that attitude, it isn't realistic for everybody. When you're a heavyweight and you're in town... Why was he not the backup fighter? And these were just my, my, my own thoughts. I was even talking with Chris Camozzi about this. Chris, I'm a, I'm a big Stipe supporter, but Camozzi's equal. Camozzi is equally a Stipe supporter. I thought I might retire him. I really did. Because I, I do stand by my claim that I don't think you're going to get Stipe if he's not a main event. I don't think you're going to get Stipe if it's not a title shot. So it's not Stipe's unwillingness. It's not Stipe's resume or his lack of skills. Stipe is going to stand up for himself, which means he's not going in there in a co-main spot against Curtis Blades just by example. So what does it mean that Sergi gets the backup spot while Stipe sits in the audience? I just wondered these things, but this is all cleared up. Dana came out. He said, no, it's not a question. It's going to be Stipe. It's going to be next. Now, Dana didn't give us any hint at when it would be. But Daniel Cormier spoke up real fast. And I personally really like when guys do this. I, I have to hear certain terms in this sport. I just turn my, I just, right? I can't, I can't make people understand this sport. It's a really complicated one. There's not a whole bunch of people in society that do it. I mean, there's no junior high that practices. There's no high school that has it. There's no college you can get a scholarship. The Olympic Games doesn't recognize. This is a weird sport. I understand that. But because of that, it's also hard to have a conversation. The other person doesn't know what they're saying. They're just repeating something they heard somewhere else. Last thing to go is your power. Who's got the reach advantage? This guy's a little bit chenny. I mean, you, you, you hear these things and you just have to put up with it. One of those things is that MMA math doesn't work. B.S. MMA math works all the time. It's not perfect. It's not 100%. It works all the time. 
And when you have Daniel Cormier weighing in on this, that's fascinating to me. He's been in the octagon with John Jones twice. He's been in the octagon with Stipe Miocic three times. Daniel knows these guys. Daniel's got no cross to bear. They've both beaten Daniel. And Daniel came out and said, Stipe's going to be a different fight for John. Now, that's just, to me, that's just interesting. Why? What's going to be different about it? What does Daniel know? What did Daniel feel? And one thing about Stipe, I just feel like this is a huge story. You, you guys might have heard me t- uh, tell this before, but I, I got to get on the rooftops and I got to say, because everyone that ever hears me say it is fascinated by it, but nobody's made a big deal. This isn't in headlines anywhere. Helwani's not bre- breaking news and, and Sports Center's not breaking, but it should be. Stipe Miocic, when he lost to Francis and Gunner, he weighed in at 233 pounds, and when he got out of the ring that night, he told his wife, I am never getting in the ring that small again. I'm a heavyweight. The rules allow me to be up to 265 pounds. The rules. I'm going to start taking advantage of that rule, which I've never done before. So he doesn't sign a contract. He doesn't fight anybody else. And he goes and he puts on 20 pounds of muscle because he thought he was going to be in there in the true trilogy of which he was owed. He thought he was going to be in there with Francis who's pushing the limits of the allowed 265. So Steve is going to do it himself. That's interesting. That's really interesting. That, that the whole last three years of John Jones was based around that one notion. John has not put out any videos on Instagram. He hasn't made any headlines anywhere for anything other than putting on size. And when Stipe did the same thing, for some reason it wasn't coveted. Now, Stipe isn't going to be facing Francis. He's going to be facing John, but I think that's equal. I think I think that's equally of importance because if, in fact, Stipe put on 20 pounds, okay, that's the number that's being thrown out. I don't know how literal we're supposed to take, but I have to take that as literal for now because I have no other evidence. Okay, fine. He weighed 233. He put on 20 pounds. means he weighs 253. It's hard to close your eyes and imagine a match between Stipe and John Jones if Stipe weighs 253, because you've never seen it. it. The same way as Daniel Cormier is coming out and he's talking about what he felt and what he experienced, but he did not experience 253 pounds. The entire John Jones moving up to heavyweight was based on handicapping against John Jones. You're giving the opponent an advantage. John is so good, but can he overcome an advantage, which is size? Now, these guys are only going to be separated. You're you're, you're still talking about seven, eight pounds. I get that. It's not meaningful, but it's a different fight. And one thing you must do with John Jones is you must stand your ground. Now, if you stand your ground, doesn't mean you're going to beat him. But if you don't stand your ground, you are for sure going to lose to him. Every single John Jones fight, he will reach out and he will touch somebody first. Every single time. Go watch it. John Jones will touch that opponent before they touch him. That is not a coincidence. When that referee says, are you ready? And John says, yeah, he means it. And the other guy doesn't always mean it. The other guy nods his head thinking, I'm ready to be done. I'm ready to get this over with. 
But of all the times John's walked out there and all the things on the line and all the video that you have to sit down with your trainer and to observe, it is extremely important that you touch him first or at least try and nobody's done it. They're scared. They're apprehensive. They want it over with. What's he going to do? They're defensive, right? You can't be defensive and offensive at the same time. You'll learn in life the greatest defense is a good offense. So is Stipe Miocic is going to go out there and stand his ground? And I think he is. I don't think Stipe's backing up. I do not think that Stipe's scared. I think that Stipe believes that he can beat John Jones. I, I don't proclaim for you because somebody has some level of confidence that it becomes so. I, I get that one of the most misunderstood words in the world, but definitely in sport, is confidence. But I think Stipe has it. I don't think Stipe is going to run. I, I don't think he's going to be worried on his feet. I don't think he's going to worry about being taken down. I don't think that he's worried about getting tired. I don't think that he's worried that he's going to get caught in a submission that he hasn't seen before and he can't deal with. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. And I also believe he's a very different guy with 20 pounds of muscle. This is the right move to give him this opportunity. I was worried it wasn't going to happen. I really was. I suppose we'll never know if I'm right. Because my contention is if Stipe doesn't get the shot, Stipe doesn't fight again. That's my contention. And now we'll never know. This is the right move. Stipe's back. He's seen Jones. He's seen his size. He's seen his length. He sees what he can do. As Stipe said, and I quote, I'm going to beat that ass. All right, guys, let's play a game. Let's get John Jones beat. Let's get him beat. Now, to get John Jones beat, we have to be silly. We have to. I have found myself, I'm a professional at this, right? I mean, pe people pay me to share my opinion. I have found myself and had to catch myself when explaining how good John Jones is. I have began to say that he was chosen by God as my explanation. And I've had to catch myself and stop and go, chill. Don't say that. Don't put that out. Come on, that's lazy. Break it down. Do a better job. Talk about his length. Talk about his background. Talk about, you know, who's training him. And it's so hard to put into words how talented he is. I don't know that I've seen anything like it. In all of sport, in all of sport, I don't know if I've seen somebody with as little of experience or as little of sacrifice, as little of not to just walk in and be able to play. And some of those things that I would say about John aren't totally true. You know, when I talk about his experience or his sacrifice, that isn't true now. He's 35 years old. He's been doing this enough time. He's walked through those doors in and out enough times that perhaps that isn't true. But he was a champion of the world when he was 23 years old. At 18 years old, he wasn't in MMA. At 18 years old, he was going to college. From there, he was going to move up from the junior college to the Division One. I. I mean, he had no thing with MMA. It wasn't a thing. And I'm just going back to when he was 18. I don't even know what he was thinking at 20. I don't know what he was thinking at 19. I know he was a champion of the world at 23. Champion of the world at 23 and was not in the sport at 18. That's just what I know. How do you explain this? How do you explain it? So, okay, let's get him beat. Do we put a time machine? Do we get a time machine and do we run him back to 2004, fly him out to uh, Sadiana Arena and put him against Fedor Emelianenko? Will that do it? Are we sure? 
Could we handicap match him like Vince McMahon would do? Could we find two killers and have him fight them in the same night? So John Jones, he's got to go out and he, he's got to deal, he's got to deal with Aspinall. Okay, but then in that same night, he's got to come out and he's got to take on Sergey Pavlich. Could he do it? Could he beat two men in one night? He is barely breaking a sweat. They used to take away from Mike Tyson. They would take away from Mike Tyson by saying that the guys that he was fighting quit in the locker room. They didn't bring their skills with them. They wilted. They were intimidated. They buckled. They're right. They're absolutely right. Anybody that saw Mike Tyson fight Bruce Seldon and thinks that Bruce Seldon took a dive is right. You can rewind that tape a hundred times. Mike didn't touch him and Bruce is laying, pretending he's asleep. Those things happen. But I don't tease Bruce. Those things happen when you're petrified. It's a very natural human emotion. It's called fight or flight. Everybody has it. No matter how tough you are, there's a limit. There is a point where something scares you. And in that fear, you just want it over with. No, including if, if it's a negative consequence to yourself, just to have resolution and not have to worry about it anymore. Not have to dwell on it. Not have to think about all the negative things that are possibly going to happen. I will have resolution. Those negative things did happen, but they're at least done. It's called fight or flight. So when they used to take away from Mike Tyson, they talk about his opponents that were back down. It's an incredible difficult thing to do. If you can wilt an opponent, if you were that good, if you were that petrifying, if you've beaten that many men that they've seen before, if you hit that hard, I'm describing Mike Tyson right now, good for you. They should never use that against you. That should never be something that a pundit says against you. It's a compliment to you. John Jones is now in a spot where these guys aren't competing. I would never kick a man when he's down. I really do believe that about myself. And I am not giving Surreal gone a hard time. I'll just share with you to make sure that you know what you witnessed, okay? We've been told in this sport from the beginning of time, it's a size advantage. Now we see time and time again that size is a disadvantage. We see you don't want to be bigger than your opponent. You don't want to be the heavier guy. You don't want to be the slower guy. But this is what we're told. We're told from the beginning of time that it is a youth advantage. We keep getting told. I don't know where that came from. I really don't. When I was a senior in high school, there wasn't a seventh grader in all the lands I had to worry about. But somewhere over time, it's supposed to go to the younger guy. But John was the older guy, the much older guy. I'm just bringing this to you to, to see Surreal be so scared and not want to be in that really was a thing of awe. And it's not something that should be taken away from John Jones. To watch John Jones go in there and throw ones and twos right down the middle. John never came out and just threw a cross. He threw a one and he threw a cross behind it. That is the first combination you will learn in your very first day of boxing practice. 
a one and a two, followed by a three. Every gem in the world. And it's what John Jones turned to when the house was on fire and the world title was up for grabs. He turned to the most basic combination there was. A one followed by a two. He stepped right into range without fear. That is a remarkable thing. John did not go into that fight thinking and acknowledging, you're the superior striker. You're a professional striker. You have knocked out many men in this division. I have knocked out none. I must get you to the ground. Hoist Gracie taught us this in 1993. I must get you to the ground. He had no urgency. When they went to the ground, John didn't mean to go to the ground. There was not only the clumsiest, most accidental takedown of the evening, it's the clumsiest, most accidental takedown that I've ever seen in championship history. John wanted to stand. Where would he get that confidence? Why would he think that he could do that? Why was Surreal running from him? Why was Surreal so scared of that position? Why, when they got in that position, did he want out? I'm not teasing Surreal, not in the least. I'm making sure to try to observe and accurately identify what I saw so that I can make a prediction and actually uh, accurately identify the future, which in this case, it looks like it's Stipe Miocic. But it's a, it's a really stunning thing. And if you were to get John beat, what would you do? Where would you go? As silly as it is for me to tell you have a time machine, what if you did? What would you do? Would you move him down to light heavyweight and you'd send him in there with Don Fry? I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just having fun. I'm just, I'm going in different directions. But what are you going to do? Who is it you're going to have that you're so sure step number one isn't going to be petrified? They're going to actually bring their skills. I saw who won between John Jones and Surreal Gone, but I don't know who's better between John Jones and Surreal Gone. One guy wanted to be there. One guy wasn't worried about One guy wanted out. Very common. Very normal. Not generally in a championship spot, but very common and very normal. You saw 11 fights on Saturday. You saw 11 people that wanted to get out, whether you, whether you knew it or not. So if you were going to get a beat, you had all the power that you had. It could be light heavyweight. It could be heavyweight. What year was it? Who's the guy? How are you going to do it? Get John beat. Go ahead. Try it. Guys, it's starting to warm up. And for me, that's a natural motivator to stay up on my workout routine. I know we all started the new year with the best of intentions and desire to get fit and healthy, but sticking to a routine can be hard. That's why the FitBot app is changing the game. The FitBot app creates a workout program that is personalized to your goals fitness level and available equipment at home or in the gym. It learns from your previous workouts and adapts as you improve. One of my favorite things about the app is the daily reminder. I have mine set for 9 a.m. right after the kids are dropped off at school. A reminder pops up on my phone with the muscle groups and routine that is scheduled for the day. The app switches up my exercises to avoid overtraining or more importantly for me, 
burnout, guys. While keeping the workouts fresh and interesting, the FitBot app does all the planning and the thinking. All you have to do is follow along. Whether you work out in a weight room or in your living room, FitBot has you covered. Start making progress towards your fitness goals today with 25% off a FitBot subscription. A full year of FitBot is less than the cost of a single session with a personal trainer. Keep your fitness habits with a personalized workout program from FitBot. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app free at fitbot.me slash chael. That's fitbot, F-I-T-B-O-D dot me slash chael. March means non-stop college hoops action and it all starts with the conference tournaments. Who will win their bid into the biggest tourney of the year and who will be left waiting? Join the excitement and make your bets with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet just $5 on a pregame money line and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, all new and existing customers can take a shot at cashing in big with DraftKings stepped up parlays. Boost your college basketball winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. New customers, use the promo code CHAIL, bet $5 on any college hoops pregame money line and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code CHAIL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Cameos over the weekend, Nate and Nick Diaz. Interesting. Seems simple, right? It seems simple. You're sitting at home, you're watching the show, they pop up, crowd goes crazy. You probably think, oh, that's kind of cool. You don't see the Diaz brothers together a lot. And there they are. What do you make of that? Nothing? You probably moved on with your day. You probably thought, what a cool moment, and you moved on with your day. Let's not move on. Let's back up. Why do they show them? It's a big deal. Television time and every single second, every single moment is very well thought out. Why did they show them? How did they know where they were? How did they know where to put the camera? I know somebody saw it. No, it's not that easy. Not that easy. Those were special tickets. Those are what you called comp tickets, which means somebody within the office gave them to the Diaz brothers. They assigned them. They put them there. They told the camera crew that knew when to flash to them. Sounds simple, right? It's not simple. Big name within our industry. I'm going to leave his name out because I don't want to embarrass him. He's a great guy. Good friend of mine was doing nothing more than his job. He did nothing more than his job, and he did his job really well. Part of that was caught on camera. And he was so consistent, he had such a good energy that while being caught on camera, they viewed it as a distraction, a distraction from the product that they're trying to promote. They fired him. Fired him. It's a big deal who goes on camera. It's a big deal who goes on your product. When you're the one buying the airtime, they put the Diaz boys in special seats that they gave them. Before you dismiss what I'm saying, Francis Ngannou lives in Las Vegas. Francis Ngannou watched the fight. We know that because Francis Ngannou tweeted about the fight. Don't you think he'd rather be there? Don't you think he'd rather be at the fight live? But he couldn't call the office and he couldn't get the seat. Or if he did, they told him no. It's a big deal the Diaz boys were there. So what do you want to make of it? What do we know about Nick? Nick, according to Nick, 
wants to fight again. He wants to fight in the UFC. He made this very clear. He wants to do it 185 pounds. He had even called out Israel Adesanya. It was an interesting call out because Nick called Adesanya out after Adesanya had lost. So it wasn't that he was calling for a championship fight. He called out Adesanya specifically. I'm not trying to, uh, to build something there. I'm just reminding you. I'm giving you a time frame. We know that Nick is still under contract because of that call out. We know that Nate is not. We know that Nate is not because he made a very big deal of it. He made it very clear he's going to exhaust his contract. He did that a while ago. Last minute replacement. They tried to do Jemaya, big melee. Turn on my business weight. It comes in Ferguson. I'm just reminding you, I'm just giving you a time frame. My own prediction is that most likely for Nate's next fight, most likely, I think it's in the UFC. I've always thought that. There has always been a misunderstanding when the audience hears free agent. When the audience hears free agent, for some reason... Their mind believes that that means open everywhere except here. But it doesn't. It means open everywhere, including here. Okay. So Nate's got all sorts of talks, right? Talked with Floyd Mayweather going on. Talked with Jake Paul. Talks with Logan Paul. Nate's in high demand. Talk that he was going to start his own promotion that was going to do everything from grappling to boxing to kickboxing to MMA all in one event, but they put him on the UFC's camera. He doesn't live there. There's some level of travel. There's some level of coordination. He didn't walk through the front doors and get swarmed by fans. He came in through the back gate. He came in through the back doors, which takes a level of organization, which takes a level of relationship. A bridge that is clearly not burned. But what do you, I mean, what do you make of that? It's a great juxtaposition that I just gave you that Francis Ngannou, of course, he's a fan, of course. He lives there in Las Vegas. It takes no coordination. It just takes having a relationship at the office where they, they, they put the ticket and will call. That's it. And they didn't do it. And I don't think anybody snuffed Francis. I don't think that Francis even asked. I'm just sharing for you. What do you make of it? What do you think the Diaz's are going to do? Why do you think they put him on camera? The crowd still likes him. I th- I thought it was one of the, the 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 hotter moments of the night, right? I mean, you've got Tom Brady sitting in the crowd. You you have Conor McGregor and Conor. He was like getting felt up. It, it was almost a, a comical scene. They got some guy that they call the bus. You got Stipe Miocic. I mean, this was a who's who. It really was. It was an extremely hot night. And in spite of all of that, the loudest reception that I could hear through my TV speakers in Westland, Oregon, is when they flashed the Diaz boys, who allegedly aren't fighting with the company anymore. Are they just the only ones in history that have not done it the organization's way, but also didn't piss anyone off? We're not fight. We're not going to do what you want. We're not under contract. We don't have something booked. Oh, by the way, put two of the best seats in the house on reserve because we're coming in. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. That might be exactly what happened. Well, I'll just tell you it's a surprise. There was a time Randy Couture, and I can't remember all of the details, but I'll get you real close. There was a time that Randy Couture was having a push and pull with the UFC, but Randy's son was under contract. Now, don't forget, Extreme Couture, I mean, you got champions training there. That that, that is a, a massive mega gym. 
where all sorts of people on the card, but including your main events and your champion are coming from that gym. And something said in the media that he can't even, he can't even buy a ticket. This was said, he can't even buy a ticket. If he buys a ticket and he enters the building, I will have him removed by security. Can't remember all the details, but I have that right. And the Diaz boys popped up. Everyone just likes them? Is that it? No hard feelings? Bygones are by... Is that it? I don't know. It would surprise me. It would be a first. I know they were on camera. I know I liked it. I know you guys liked it. But what does it mean? That's the question. Joe Silva got started with the UFC. You guys know this story? This is the story. I've never asked Joe if it... But we all believe it to be true. I believe this to be true. It, and it goes something like this way back 1993. UFC gets off the ground. Got this guy in Boston named Joe Silva that's a big fan. Understood it. He was a kickboxer himself. Kind of understood this. He starts watching it. And he didn't agree with the matchups. He'd go watch a card. There was only six events a year. Some years there was only five back then. He would, he would watch a card. So he'd see those 20 athletes. And he'd go, yeah, but of those 20 guys that you had... It should have been this guy versus this guy. And it should have been this guy versus... And he'd start changing it. He found a phone number. The way the story goes. And he calls it. It was like a number in Black Belt Magazine. or it was something along these lines. I mean, don't forget, in, in this part, the internet doesn't exist. Facebook isn't a thing. Twitter's not even a word yet. It's a very different thing how you communicate it. But Joe found a way to communicate with something called the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and he called them up and he basically told them off. That's the way the story goes. He got somebody on the phone, he basically told them that they didn't weren't doing their job right. And here's why, and here's what they should have done. And whoever that person was on the other listened. Then some time goes by and they do another event. They get this call from this, this guy that knew kickboxing that lives out in Boston named Joe. And he does the same thing. He tells them off again. Something along these lines happened, right? I, I know this is the van. And finally the guy said, well, what would you do? And Joe says, here's what I would do. So the guy did it. And he liked the result. He calls Joe up and says, you want to do that from now on. You want to make this your job. It became a thing. And they didn't even know how they were going to pay him. I and mean, that's where the story gets really good. They didn't fully know how they were going to pay him. They were only doing five events a year. Then five events turns into 11 events, turns into 20 events. What do you do? The guy's now doing you, you, got, you got twice as much work. You get double the guy's salary. I mean, that's not the way life and business works. I say, oh, okay, well, now we're doubling it again. Do I quadruple his sales? One of these things, they end up giving him points. They sell the company for $4 billion. He cashes out. It's really awesome, but it's not actually my point. My point is this. I feel as though you could call me and I could tag in to any department within this sport. No preparation. You call me, you put me in the position, I'll handle it. Except for matchmaking. It's hard. I just don't, I don't get it. I, I don't, I don't fully understand it. I like to watch the sport. I don't understand, you know, it, it's styles that make fights. And I hear these terms, but I don't fully know what that means. I just, I just wasn't blessed with that. So there's talk right now of Rachmanov versus Colby. Do you agree with it? Because I don't. I don't think that that's a bad fight. I, I don't know who would win that fight. That's a very good and competitive match with two guys that have a very decorated wrestling background. But it doesn't feel right. Like, I mean, I'll just give you a different example. 
Ian Gary. In my opinion, it should be Ian Gary versus Rachmanov. I don't love the idea of bringing somebody along. I don't know what it means. I've heard it said. I've heard it said from people in the industry that are executives, from people that make their living doing this. I hear that come out of their mouth. I'm going to build him. I'm going to bring him along. And I always smile and I nod, but inside I think, like who? You're going to build him like you did who? You're going to bring him along like you did who? Who in the hell did you do this with? When did it work? Are you telling me if, if I give Bo Nickel three more matches, which is going to constitute a year, and then I put him in a main event spot, are you telling me that I can sell more tickets than I could with Bo Nickel right now? Because I don't agree. I don't think that's true. So you have these guys that are doing a great job, and they're undefeated, but we're going to save them. We're going to put them on the side. I've got Rachmanov and I've got Ian Gary here. Now, the whole audience wants to see Ian Gary fight Rachmanov, but I'm going to put him on the same card, but I'm not going to have him fight each other. And I, I, a guy like, I just sit back and go, why? And I understand. I've heard the answers. Believe me, I've heard the answers. Well, I need, I need champions someday. I need main events. I need title shots. I need contenders. I understand all those things. But every single Saturday night, you're not just advancing somebody towards that. You're also eliminating somebody. Every single time that door shuts... 50% of the competitors go the other way. It's dead even. 100% of the time, one of the guys goes up and one of the guys goes to, it's 50-50. So what, what do you mean? I, I need a main event. I need contenders. I got to keep guys. I got to keep them fresh. I got to keep guys undefeated. So I need Rachmanovs and Gary's. What, what are you talking about? You have them both there. Have them fight each other. And I, I don't fully understand this concept. I admit that. I admit that. I, I'm open. I'm open to dialogue here. But I'm, I'm pulling that out of thin air. I'm pulling Ian Gary out of thin air. How many guys are we going to give him? And keep him undefeated, and keep him going, and, and keep the shit before we before we test it. Why do we not test it? Why do we not want to know? Why do we have to build guys like who? Who did you build? Who did you build and make a whole bunch of money? You don't decide. We, the audience, will decide. It really does. It reminds me of the time a guy named The Rock came out and told the world, don't call me The Rock anymore. My name is Dwayne. And the world told him, your name is what we say your name is, Rock. And he fought it and he fought it and he fought it and he finally, you're right. Who am I to tell you? You tell me. Well, I'd become the biggest star. But it wasn't just his doing. You had a cooperation from the audience. And when the audience felt as though they were being excluded from the decision-making, it pissed them off. Which is why they didn't call him Dwayne. They needed to remind him that we're part of this. We're part of this with you and we'll keep you on top, but you're going to do it our way at least a little bit. So where would we even get an idea like putting Rock Mono against Colby? For what? And I'll listen, feel free to tell me. Are we making it perfectly clear that Chemayev is no longer in the weight class? Because that hasn't been made perfectly clear. It hasn't been. But, but we, the community, do agree that whatever Chemayev does next is a number one contenders match. We, we can only sit here and pretend so long and not give him a title shot. The guy walking around with the belt when Chemayev's in the, at some point it gets weird. 
So if he's not going right into a world title shot, then we, the community, have a group. Whatever weight class it is, whatever's next is the last one. Following Chamayev has to fight for a belt. I only bring that up because you're talking about putting Rachmanov versus Covington, which would have to be a number one contenders match. So are you telling me that Chamayev is not in the weight class? I'll listen. I'm open to it. Why else would Rachmanov fight Colby? I mean, are we guaranteeing it? Is there something special on this? Or do you got a young guy with a hot record? If you do, put him with another young guy with a hot record. I'm not a very good matchmaker. I, I will admit that. You won't, you won't get me to concede very much in this uh, sport. I do believe that I'm the smartest guy in the room. Except on that. But I just want to ask you, just amongst friends, right? I don't, I don't want to hear every match that you could make. I want to narrow it down. Would you rather see Rachmanov versus Ian Gary? Or would you rather see Rachmanov versus Colby? I truly am curious. All right, guys, I don't know a ton about this. I'm, I'm reading about this right now. My partner, Ryan, calls me, tells me to go to a dot com. Apparently, Bo Nickel is being questioned for cheating. Now, that's a very strong word. Cheating is a tremendously strong word, but this is what he's being accused. And Bo Nickel responded to it, and Bo used the word himself, which I think was a big mistake. But Bo used the word. He said, I would never want to win that way. I am not a cheater. So now we're dealing with the word cheat. I mean, right, that's a massive word. Why would you why would you possibly bring that word into it? I mean, how would story goes like this? Bo hits Pickett in the nuts. Bo gets a takedown. The takedown or the lack of defense by Pickett was largely predicated on the pain and the distraction caused by the kick to the nuts, which, by the way, is not allowed. Okay, cheat, that sounds hard to me. Even if Bo kicked him in the nuts. Even if we can rewind the tape, which we've got four different angles, like for sure we can figure this out. If Bo's shot landed low, that doesn't mean he cheated unless he did it intentionally. I mean, are, are you with me on that? Like, it's very weird. It's, it's this is very strong language by both sides. Bo used the word cheat when he rebuked this. Okay, great. So I'm, I'm admitting to you that I'm not an expert on it. I'm, it's just coming to my attention. But if I was to give a response, it would go something like this. What are you trying to achieve? What is the point? Because the article that I read, Pickett's team would like to appeal this with the commission. They would like to show that there was a low blow, show that that's against the rules, prove that that impacted the outcome, and get it switched to a no contest. Okay. I, I won't give Pickett a hard time I'll just share with you. I, I don't personally understand it. I, I don't personally understand what a no contest. I, I, I don't get it. Are you trying to get a rematch? Does this affect your contract? Do you believe that there's a certain pay that comes with a no contest that did not happen with a defeat? Because there's not. I'm not looking to be a jerk about it. I'll just tell you your contract. You don't get paid more. Let's say we go to the commission. So say so whatever your team is, whatever lawyer there is, whatever involvement there is, maybe you fly in, maybe you get a hotel, what, what, whatever this is, when it's done, you don't get a check. Are you aware of that? Perhaps you are. Perhaps this is not about money. This is about right and wrong. Right versus wrong, a loss versus a no contest. What difference does that make? I'm asking. I'm not passing a judgment. I'm asking, what difference does that make? 
you were hit low. I haven't seen the tape on this. I believe you. If I, if I was a jury of your peers, I'll tell you right now, I can stop you right there. I believe you. I just, I just don't think somebody would make that up. I've never, in my entire life, and I've been in combat since I was nine years old, I have never even heard of somebody claiming I was hitting the nuts when they weren't. There's a first time for everything, uh, but this is Chael's story. In my life, in practice or in competition, no, it's was looking for a break or they were tired. I thought the referee would help. And I've never seen anybody claim, oh my God, he hit me in the balls when he wasn't hitting the balls. So I believe him. I believe him. Now, but, but let me stop you right there, okay? Let, let me take that as evidence, and now let me fast forward one hour. Because that's when John Jones hit the ring. And, and, and within five seconds, John Jones had a professional kickboxer who used to be a world champion kick him right in the dick. In front of the world. Now maybe... Now, maybe, not, not we need to get Bersari in the team and get in the room with the edit and we need to zone in on this. Now, maybe, for sure, a 250-pound former world champion kicked John Jones in the dick. For sure. And it hurt him. For sure. And he grimaced and he pulled back and the referee stepped in and the surreal gone apologized. And then he regrouped and whipped his ass. I mean, I'm just sharing with you. Like, if we're, if we're going to come out and we're going to say, he kicked me low and impacted the fight. And I want a fair shake and that's not it. And my defense is, but I'll listen to you. I, I, I don't think that Pickett is wrong for doing this. I just don't understand it. Does he understand in his contract, this doesn't come with a check? And that's what we're fighting for. You we're, we're fighting for money. Is, is that clear? And if it's not, if you're fighting for some other reason, I'm not against you. I will listen. If on principle you believe a loss and a no contest and the fans and affects your car, I will listen. But as a viewer, one hour later, a 35-year-old man experienced much worse. Without even seeing, I, I could only imagine a professional heavyweight kickboxer kicking you in the nuts. Took a deep breath, he regrouped, and he whipped his ass. You need to consider that. There's times to speak up. There's times to claim foul ball. And there's other times that you realize, man, this is a rough sport. You got me tonight. Somewhere down the road, I'm going to get somebody else. Maybe the referee call it. Maybe it's kind of like the chains in football. It's not perfect, but at least in theory, at least in theory, over time, if we call this consistency consistently, it'll all even out. guys thank you for listening i have had it with you all enjoy your weeks be back here on friday until then i'm chael sonnen and you are welcome